right, hold your place there and just go ahead and turn back one page um, to chapter one. We're not going to read the whole letter tonight, um, but I do want to lay some groundwork um, tonight. Um, Starting in uh, verse three, Paul tells the Thessalonians that we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for the which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing for God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And uh, the, the theme that runs through First and Second Thessalonians is he's often talking about end times. He repeatedly mentions the second coming of Christ. I'm not here to talk to you about that tonight, um, but, uh, but what I want to tell you that uh, uh, for tonight is that um, he starts off this letter by uh, commend, by commending them, you know, their faith is heard um, by him, and uh, and uh, and he, uh, he they, they themselves they glory in the churches of in the, those churches of God for their patience and their faith and their persecutions and their tribulations. So, you know, even back in the time of Paul, he is uh, writing to he's writing letters to churches um, to assure them that their faith is heard of uh, throughout the world and uh, and that um, the way that they handle tribulations trials trouble in this lifetime, the way that they are able to endure stuff like that is being heard by, by him, and he's commending them for that. And, uh, and then he goes into chapter 2 um, to more expound about something in particular that's going to happen in the end times, and he goes into talking about uh, the, what, what is known as the Great Tribulation, you know, tribulation um, that, has not, not been, that has not happened on earth before, and uh, it never shall be again. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just going to be um, a, a mass persecution of Christians. It's going to be the greatest trouble that uh, this world has ever seen when it comes to the persecution of Christians. And um, that's an entire um, study on end times. Um, pastor's done that with us before, but um, but I want to I wanted to just uh, j- just uh, show you that uh, it's a it's a running theme through the books of the Thessalonians. And he he concludes in in chapter two where we just were. Uh, in, in verse 13, it says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight. Uh, um, talk to you about tonight is uh, talk to you about salvation, as he mentions uh, in verse 13. Uh, this is uh, this is a running thought um, before he gets to this doxology at the end of the chapter. And I want to talk to you about the salvation as the everlasting consolation and the good hope. And uh, there's something to be uh, said about that because um, there's the New Testament talks 
so much about salvation. You know, it goes into what salvation is, you know, how salvation is justification, how salvation is imputation, how salvation is um, complete and total forgiveness. And there's a lot of different, you know, subtopics, you know, you know, to that topic of salvation. But uh, in Second Thessalonians 2, he refers to the salvation as the everlasting consolation and good hope. And, uh, and, I, and I, th- I believe there's a reason for that. I believe that there's a lot uh, that we can learn from this. Now, what is consolation? Well, the dictionary, I, I believe, gives some very good definitions. Um, we're going to look at the definition of consolation and of hope. For consolation, it's, uh, it gives the definition of comfort or alleviation of misery or distress of mind, refreshment of mind or spirits, a comparative degree of happiness in distress or misfortune, springing from any circumstance that abates the evil or supports and strengthens the mind as hope, joy, courage, and the like. And uh, I like how he includes um, hope in that, in that definition. You know, th- these two words, consolation and hope, they are very, they are very much uh, similar. They have a lot to do with each other. And uh, so um, he, he, uh, Paul is calling this, uh, uh, this uh, calling salvation, he's calling it everlasting consolation. And, um, and, and, and there's a lot to be said. Why is he calling it consol- everlasting consolation in, in, this, uh, uh, in this passage? It's because he just got done talking about uh, the current troubles that they are going through and the unimaginable troubles that Christians are going to be going through in the end times. Now, regardless of your opinion on where we are at in God's timetable, you know, I, you know a lot of us personally think that uh, there's no way that this world can continue on for, an, for another you know, hundreds or thousands of years, you know, uh, you know, how much more wicked can this world be? You know, we must be in the end times. And I think Christians for many generations have been saying that. Um, but, but regardless of what we think, there is a time coming when unimaginable troubles or unimaginable persecutions uh, from people who hate God and from the spiritual wickedness in high places are going to be coming down on the Christians. And, uh, and he, he refers to our salvation as this everlasting consolation and hope, the definition of hope. Now, it may seem like an easy word. We all can, you know, could come up with our own understanding and we could come up with our definition of hope. It's an easy word. We use it all the time. But I wanted to read you this definition. Um, hope is a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it or a belief that it is obtainable. Hope differs from wish and desire in this and that it implies some expectation of obtaining the good uh, of obtaining the good desired or the possibility of possessing it hope therefore always gives pleasure or joy whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety now um, it, 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 this definition um, i believe sheds some light on how hope is such a perfect word uh, to refer to salvation as because, um, w- you know, from what we understand about salvation, um, a Christian knows that they are saved. A Christian has that confidence in themselves. That Christian has the assurance of the Holy Spirit in them. It is something that we are most sure of. It's not something that we go through our day-to-day lives wondering about. It's not something that uh, any Christian who's established and, and, and who's, uh, um, uh, you know, who's uh, you know, actually growing in the Lord wonders about throughout their entire life. I wonder about the Christians, you know, who never get rooted and built up in the, in the word and who never get established uh, in the word of God. You know, I wonder, 
you know, if if uh, if there's Christians out there, you know, who truly do forget that they are purged from their old sins, and but you know, for a Christian who is uh, constantly going to church, who has, who is getting rooted down and built up, that is something that we constantly have assurance of and confidence in, and it's not something that we wonder about. Um, hope therefore always gives pleasure or joy, whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. And, and that rings true with um, the religions of this world, particularly the majority of Christian denominations, the majority of Christian churches out there. I believe, that, I believe firmly that the majority of Christianity is teaching their congregants. They may, they may say you can have hope, but they don't know what that word hope means. What they are really saying is that you may desire it or you may wish for it and there are so many christians out there people who call themselves christians who are wishing that they would get to heaven who are desiring to get to heaven they're they're, they're constantly having these thoughts in their head you know you know i i you know i i hope that uh, at the end of my life uh, you know my good deeds they outweigh my bad deeds and you know i i hope that i wound up being good enough to make it and uh that, that I, and they can wish uh that they would get to heaven they may desire to get to heaven but the very fact that you know they desire you know they desire to be able to get into heaven just proves that they don't have that assurance and and therefore you know what they are being preached uh in their church is is a salvation of uh wish wishful thinking and uh of desiring and so i, I like that um you know uh, webster's dictionary chose to uh include this um this little uh, this little fact in there uh, in that hope uh Hope differs from desire and wish. And that hope, when you have hope, there is at least, a, you know, a strong expectation of it. You know, the, the person who hopes for heaven is the person who expects heaven to come to them, who expects the salvation to come to them. Someone who is not uh, uh, sh- uh, shaky in their faith. You know, one who, you know, when, when, when maybe they prayed a prayer of salvation, you know, they still weren't sure in their hearts if, they were fully if they were fully trusting in Christ they weren't sure uh, it, you know you know that they, they, they you know that there's something didn't click in them and something inside them still tells them that they need to earn their way into heaven uh, definition number two says confidence in a future event and uh, it says the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good as hope founded on God's gracious promises in a scriptural sense, and uh, I, lo- I, lo- I love how it uh, use, chooses to use the word confidence in a future event. Confidence is very much a religious term. Confidence is uh, is a uh, is a Christian term. Um, the word confidence, um, broken down, it means that you are with faith. You are confide in the original language, and it, it means that you uh, you are with the faith in the future event. And in this case, the future event of your salvation, both the physical salvation and the salvation of the soul. And it says the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. This is not just a wavering, you know, maybe someday, you know, this is not um, something that this person is not sure of. They have confidence in it. They are with faith that this is going to happen. And the faith is not in our own, uh, is is not in our own uh, life that we live, but rather it is the gift that has been given to us. And Salvation is often, not just in this passage, referred to as hope. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go over there. 
while you're turning to there, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Jesus Christ, who is our salvation, by the way, and, uh, and even in the Old Testament, God is given the title, the God of our salvation. Uh, Jesus Christ, who is our salvation, is referred to as uh, the blessed hope. Uh, and it refers to his glorious appearing uh, uh, during his second coming. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And as I was writing this message, um, you know, I, I got to thinking as I was continually thinking about this, about, um, this uh, blessing that Peter gives. I mean, it's, something, it's one that I'm very familiar with. It's something that you know, I chose to memorize a while back, and it's something that goes through my head a lot. And I find myself thinking about it a lot. And uh, there is an immense amount of power packed into this blessing that Peter uh, gives God. Um, it, it, it just it, it says in so many different ways, uh, in just one tiny little blessing, it demonstrates our eternal security in Christ. And um, as I was thinking about this, you know, I I realized that I never pointed out something that I would consider, um, you know, my favorite verse or what what, they, what what they call their life verse or whatever. But, um, you know, I just got to thinking that this is one that's constantly going through my head. This is something that I'm always running through my head. I think everyone here ought to memorize uh, this blessing that Peter uh, gives to God here because it, it, is, it is something that leaves absolutely no room for any possibility of any doubt for actual salvation. It, 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 is, it is something that you, you, you would think it's flat out redundant. But sometimes I'm glad for some of the redundancies that that God gives us in the Bible. And I want us to slowly go through this. You know, we just read it all, but I want to slowly go through it. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. So according to his mercy, according to what he has done for us, it was all his, uh, uh, it was all, uh, his choice to do um, according to his mercy, and it was all... That he, it was all that he offered us according to his mercy. He, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope, talking about us being born again. So not only does it have nothing to do with our works, um, but, it, but, he, but he goes into the fact that we are born again. And again, we go back to the illustration that we often use in soul winning, the fact that, that a saved person is born again and in the, in, in the family of God and uh, how God deals with the saved person as one of his children after they are saved, and how God, you know, doesn't all of a sudden turn a blind eye to sin. You know, I, you know that's one of the, of the straw men that uh, people amongst false religions often bring up. You know, so, oh, you know, uh, you, know you, you think that after you get saved, you know, sin doesn't get dealt with anymore, that, you know, you're not going to get punished for your sins. No, the Christian is going to get punished for his sins, but he's going to be punished as a child of God. And, uh, and uh, he says, we are begotten again unto a lively hope. 
And uh, what is the lively hope? Well, it, the lively hope is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So again, not by our works of righteousness, which we have done according to his mercy, he saved us. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible. So this is the lively hope uh, that we are told about in, in, in uh, verse 3. To an inheritance incorruptible. This is an inheritance that uh, is not eaten by moth and dust. This is an inheritance that uh, does not just rot away like the, the stuff of this world will. And, and it is undefiled. It is completely spotless. It's, it's spotless from sin as heaven is. And that fadeth not away. It's not going anywhere. And it says it's reserved in heaven for you. So not only is uh, our salvation through the mercy of God, not only is our salvation, not only does our salvation get us born again into God's family, uh, not only is our salvation the lively hope, and it's by the resurrection of Christ from the dead, it's not by our works, it's by the works of Christ. Yeah, that inheritance is incorruptible, and it is undefiled, and it does not fade away, and it is reserved in heaven for you who are kept not by our works, but by the power of God, and it's through our faith unto salvation, and that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And, uh, and I wanted to slowly go through that just because there are so many different ways that he, that, that he chooses to spell out. And yes, they are saying, they are adding information slowly on there, but they're all talking about the fact that it's a promise, and that promise is not going anywhere. That pro- there's nothing that's going to happen to that promise. I often wonder uh, uh, what the people who think that uh, Christians can lose their salvation, what they're doing with uh, the words of Jesus, like, like when he said, and I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but he said something about um, those who do so much as offer a cup of cold water uh, to a prophet, and in my name, you know, it, you know, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You know, they're going to get a reward for doing something simple like that. He shall in no wise lose his reward. But for the people that are going to supposedly lose their salvation, what's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen when they're cast in the lake of fire? God going to throw their mansion in the lake of fire with them? That is is something that, that, you know, know, it it, it boggles my mind. But but, but yet there's, there's so many people out there, you know, who can think of, a confusing uh, passage um, that you know that they don't understand, that they think um, teaches that they can lose their salvation, but yet they don't think about you know often um, passages like that that aren't necessarily talking about salvation. But yet, how do you compare that to what you're teaching about salvation? How, how, how you know how do you make that work? How do you make something like that work? Jesus said they will in no wise lose their reward, and. Uh, and uh, this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And, we, and the Bible says we are in the last time, but in the last time as in when Jesus Christ comes back and uh, when we are raptured out of here and when, we are, uh, when the remaining Christians are saved from that unimaginable trouble going on uh, uh, in the world, uh, that, uh, that salvation is ready to be revealed. You know, we, 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 we sing those songs, you know, saying, I've got a mansion. That's a... That's a that's a that's a Bible promise, you know. You know that that's not just something that the songwriter made up, and uh, you know, and and and, and ju- just on a side note here, uh, whenever these modern Bible versions are not blaspheming uh, the character of God and of Christ, whenever these modern Bible versions are not uh, pushing, you know, the 
the just blatant heresies, you know, you know, you know, the ones that they're not even shy about doing, you know, saying that Christ had a beginning, you know, uh, uh, and uh, amongst other things. Whenever they're not doing something extreme like that, they're always watering down God's promises to Christians. I don't, um, I, I'm not going to remember which particular versions do, but most of the new versions in that passage where Jesus is talking about um, the promise of mansions for the Christian, he says. In my father's house, there are many rooms, and uh, you know you can you can read something like that and 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 say, well, well, well what's what's wrong with that rendering? You know, you know, maybe they're just trying to make it easier to understand. Maybe a lot of people don't necessarily know what a mansion is, and you know, other crazy things like that. But 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 that's just one of the many reasons that that we are glad that uh, God has kept His promise in preserving His word, because when it's put in the hands of man like that. Whenever, again, whenever they're not blaspheming the character of God and of Christ, they are just watering down the abundant uh, gifts and uh, promises that God has for us. Just wanted to give you a side note on that. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So uh, he goes into the fact that he's the apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in that hope of eternal life. Once again, if we're applying the actual definition of hope and not just what you can come up with off the top of your head, not just necessarily the way we constantly use it in you know, our modern talk, uh, that, uh, if we look at what the actual definition of hope is, that strong expectation rather than just a wishful thinking or, a desirable, or um, desirable thinking, that the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And I like how he reinforces that with the fact that it's the promise from God. It's something that's not going anywhere. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Titus says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That, being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, 1 Peter 1 says um, that our salvation is, um, that it, it's an inheritance, incorruptible, and it has that word um, for an heir. And uh, whenever the Bible says that we are an heir of something, like we are heirs together uh, uh, with Christ um, to, uh, to reign with him, uh, that is something that that is an inheritance that we have waiting for us. That's another um, that's another word that clearly demonstrates uh, the promises of God. It's an inheritance. It's something that we are heirs to. It's something that belongs to us. It belongs to you. Uh, though, though you stand here on earth right now, you know God calls those things which be not as though they were. It's something that is yours as you stand here, uh, as you sit here tonight. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2, and while you're there, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, 
putting on the breastplate of faith and of love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And uh, so while, while the world uh, uh, lives in the night, uh, the Bible um, differentiates them from us who are of the day. While the world is out there uh, living in, um, in their lusts, their excessive wine, their revelings, their banquetings, their abominable idolatries, as it says in First Peter, while, while, you know, they're going to think it's strange that we're not going along with them, that we're not doing the same things that they're doing. And uh, um, the world simply says stuff like, YOLO, and we've, already, we've all heard that, you know, how they say, you only live once. And boy, does this world live like they only live once. They are living like the only shrivel of hope that they have is this, um, is this vapor of time that they can see. They're only focused on the things that they can see. They are not focused on what could possibly be out there. Um, and they're not focused on trying to find God, trying to seek what he does. They, they love un, unrighteousness, rather. And that's all they are, they are focused on. They, you know, you know, they, they, I, I, I remember years ago, someone on Facebook um, you know, posted a picture of them at a party, and, and, they, and they, had, they, they captioned it, I live for the nights I can't remember. And I, that is so unimaginably vain, and that truly is how this world lives. And they, 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 you know, you know, they, they live um, to do nothing but destroy themselves. That's all they're doing with the drinking. That's all they're doing, uh, gambling away their life, uh, uh, drinking away their life, um, throwing away their money that they could be using to feed their kids on drugs and stuff that's only destroying themselves. And it, it differentiates us with them. It says... Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. That's something that we are supposed to wear with us, because the world is going to try to get uh, to to suck us into, um, you know, the the you know the, the the way that they live. They, they think it's strange that we don't run with them to the same excess of riot. We're not doing the same things that they're doing. They're gonna, you know, and and they're gonna look at you like you're judgmental. You know, you know, you know. Uh, someone uh, who is who lives in a home that is that does not have Christians in them. You know, if someone's the only Christian in their house, and uh, you know, maybe they they used to live the same way their family does, but now they're choosing to follow God. You know, all you know, all of a sudden, if that person ever developed a new interest in something like a sport, if they ever developed uh, an interest in uh, you know soccer or something like that, and and they chose to you know uh, give a, a ton of their time to that. You know, no family out there is going to accuse that person of uh, of being judgmental. No family out there is going to, um, uh, you know, assume that that person is just um, uh, berating them or whatever. Um, but it, but if a person who used to live a life of drinking and uh, um, you know doing drugs or um, doing anything, doing any other kind of debauchery, if they all of a sudden decide to stop that. And abstain from that while their family is spending a large amount of time doing stuff like that. For whatever reason, and I think we know the reason, they know what they're doing is wrong. And when the Christian decides to stop doing that, says they're not going to do that anymore, uh, the family is going to take that as judgmental. It's the same saying, oh, you, you don't want to come out and drink with us. You don't want to sing karaoke with us. You know, when you, when you, why are you judging us? You know, you, you know, you know, you're you're starting to dress a, a little differently. You know, you know, you're starting to dress a little bit more modestly. Why are you judging us? You know, you know, you know, the, the, the family, you know, who's who's uh, who's always, you know, who always does not care 
about the way they dress and, you know, who will, who will show more skin when that person decides to, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm going to, um, you know, dress in a more professional way. A man's going to start dressing like a man. A woman's going to start dressing like a woman. They're going to start to think that you're judging them. But really, all you're doing is you're putting on that hope of your, uh, the helmet, the hope of your salvation. You are, you are demonstrating to them that there is more than what this world has to offer you know, in, in the Christian life. And God offers the Christian that follows him in this world a more abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And, there, and Jesus offers life more abundantly than the people out there living for the nights that they can't remember, who are, you know, who look forward to nothing but blowing their paycheck and blacking out and, and you know, being miserable the next day. I, I don't understand how someone couldn't seek asylum from a life like that. You're there in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 11, it says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, uh, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who are sometimes were far, off, were far off are made nigh, by the blood of Christ, and and going back to what I was just uh, talking about before, um, we, we we were Gentiles in the flesh. We were um, called on circumcision by that which was by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. We were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. You know, God promised uh, um, um, uh, His people in the Old Testament. Uh, he promised them that land uh, flowing with milk and honey. He, that, that was something that he promised them. He, he wanted to um, separate unto himself a, a peculiar people, uh, zealous of good works. He, want, uh, he, you know, he set them up to be that royal priesthood, that holy nation, the peculiar people. And uh, the Bible makes it clear in the New Testament that we are the people of God uh, through faith in Christ, that we are that holy priesthood. Uh, we're the holy nation in order to show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. So we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no hope. There was no reason for us to hope before we got saved. There's no reason for anyone out there in the world who is not saved to have hope. And there are so many people out there giving them false hope. The Christians of this nation, their bookstores are full of uh, of books from uh, from uh, Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, books with titles like Your Best Life Now. I mean, that is, you know, let's say that person's saved. That is in no way preparing them to live the Christian life. But for the person who's not saved, well, you know, again, this life is all, you know, I need to focus on right now, and I'll let God take care of eternity. I don't need to think about whether my sins are, are forgiven or not. You know, I, I, I'm just going to focus on this life. And, and that's what it leads them to. You know, that, that, that's all this world has to offer you. This world's going to tell you, don't focus on eternity. You know, don't go, uh, don't take a missions trip to Africa and, uh, and, and, and evangelize to them. And don't spend any time, you know, giving them the gospel. You, you need to spend all of your time, you know, building up schools and uh, building wells and doing other good things like that. You know, stuff that I hope that money's being dedicated to doing. But... Don't, but don't you dare 
go over to them and bring them Bibles, like like the white man brought to the Indians, and uh, you know, you know, just totally destroyed their life and civilized them for crying out loud. But um, uh, yeah, so this world is only focused on the things that it can see. It's not focused on the things that can't be seen. And and uh, and and speaking of that, um, in Romans chapter eight, I, th- I believe it uh, gives another good definition, a built-in definition of hope. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what, for what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then, then do we with patience wait for it. It's, it's, it's something that, uh, that we have to be patient with. And again, this goes back to you know, the foundation for why Paul was speaking these things to the Thessalonians. You are currently going through uh, persecutions. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they had death threats at their church. It wouldn't surprise me if, um, if, people, are, if people were doing the same thing to them that people are doing to Christians now. And uh, we even read of Christians who were martyred um, later on in the Bible. Um, that persecution was already going on back then. And, and, and he said, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. If we could see heaven, it, you know, it, it, it wouldn't really be considered hope, you know, if we, if we could just see it right there. But uh, hope that is seen is, is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So in other words, if we do hope for it, if we have that earnest expectation of heaven, that's going to get us to think about the way we're living. It's going to get us to think about, you know, how good of a job we're doing at you know, the sanctification in the Christian life, you know, it's going to make us stop and think if we ever are tempted to go back uh, to our previous life. Over to Romans chapter 5. We're almost done tonight. Romans 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And says we're justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, and by him we have access into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice. And every time you see that word rejoice in the scriptures, the word rejoice means to bring back your joy. It means to joy again in God. Why are you joying again? Because your joy is constantly being taken away, because we cannot help it as as humans. You know, we cannot help that, you know, in the sinful flesh to you know, to, to, to let it go, you know, you know, you know, one day you might think, you know, you're doing pretty good. You know, one day you might think, you know, all the, all your thoughts are, are, you know, completely focused on God. You're com- they're completely focused on the good things of God, but then, and ultimately something happens. And again, it gets, you know, you know, you lose a loved one, you know, you, you're something happens in the family and, you know, it just, it gets your mind off that. 
That's why you have to rejoice. That's why you have to rejoy in your salvation. Pray like David did. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. You know, you bring, bring, bring that joy back. It says, not only so, but we glory, we brag in the tribulations also, knowing that that tribulation, that what, that, what the world's doing to us, that works in us patience. That, patient works, that patience works experience. The experience works hope, and that hope makes us not ashamed. That hope is what, what makes us not ashamed, even though we might seem like, you know, we're, well, we are the minority in this world, but even though it may seem like in, in certain situations we're alone. That tribulation happening to you is going to work the patience, the patience experience. That experience is going to strengthen your hope in heaven. Uh, it's, it's going to it's, it's going it's to leave no reason in your mind in that situation uh, to, uh, to to fumble in your faith. Um, I, t- I turn back to Second Thessalonians two, and uh, we'll we'll end here shortly. But um, we are all very much familiar with um, Psalm 23. Oftentimes, it's one of the first Bible passages you know a kid memorizes growing up. And uh, you know, when once you've read it for the hundredth time, uh, you, you know you can find yourself skimming through it. You know, you, you're, you're going through your Bible reading plan, and uh, well, it's a short, uh, short Psalm, six verses. You know, I'll just plow through it. You know, that way I've read that portion of the Bible. But um, after reading it so many times, sometimes you can uh, forget to analyze what exactly it's telling you. You can name every single verse, every single thing it says, but you might forget why it's saying some of the things it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And after talking about being led in the paths of righteousness, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the valley of the shadow of death, that demonstrating, you know, you're, you're, at the, you're at the lowest possible place you could be in your life. You are, you, 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 you've never been lower before. You know, you, you think that, uh, that you're in, in a horrible situation that is unfixable. The valley of the shadow of death. You know, you know, you know, maybe you know you're close to literal death, you know, from some tribulation, or you know, maybe you know you're just so down in your mind, you know, you, you know, you, you you wish this life would end. Though you, though you walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. And uh, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So once again, the um, you know painting a picture of the trials in this lifetime as going through the valley of the shadow of death. You have that hope. The goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you'll dwell in the house of God forever. That is what is supposed to keep the Christian going. That is what God has given to us. You know, um, He's given us that promise to help us keep going through the most difficult times in our life. We'll end back where we started, the end of Second Thessalonians 2. Verse 16 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, 
establish you in every good word and work. So I believe that as the Christian continues to root themselves down in the word, to build themselves up, as the Christian allows God to continually establish them in their faith, um, he's going to do it in every good word and work. And as the, and as the Christian continually changes their life, as they continually try to serve God, that is when the comfort is of of the promise of heaven is going to uh, strengthen itself within your heart. That that's what's going to make um, you, you know when you're constantly doing the work of God, you're going to be constantly reminded of why you're doing it. You're, and the reason, the only reason a Christian would serve um, God, whom they cannot see, is because they know uh, they they know about uh, the earnest expectation. They know about what they are what they are waiting for. They know that what's coming for them in the next life is way better and it's not to be compared uh to the, uh, the 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 sufferings of this present time they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us and and i and i i hope, I hope this helps you i hope that um it gave you you know a practical reason again you know to con- to continue doing what we are doing to continue to build ourselves up in every good word and work and um, and that in doing so the comfort of the holy ghost would um, continue to build up inside you that we will continually remind you the everlasting consolation, the good hope. The, the reasons why salvation is referred to as that is because uh, the thought of what's coming in the next life is the only thing that can keep us going in certain situations. And uh, with that, with that well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for, um, for, for, the, for the gift of salvation. We thank you that you constantly reassure us of the salvation that we have, that, that you don't leave us wondering uh, what, whether we're going to make it to heaven, that, uh, that, that your Holy Spirit uh, continually abides with us, that you've sealed us with that Holy Spirit, and that, and that you uh, continually remind us that there's no reason to focus on the things of this life, but focus on the things of eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And uh, we'll end with another song.